This podcast is by G. Wayne Miller for the Providence Journal. It was always supposed to be an in-person exhibit, and then obviously there's an online version. It came about basically last, late last spring, they reached out to me and probably a dozen other people and said, you know, we're just trying to generate ideas of what we could do to help people understand COVID better. And Museum of Science, which of course prides itself, and rightly so, as a uh, as an entity that really promotes science, science education, it wants to be a source of important information for the community. And so we brainstormed a bunch of ideas. And this idea of a hologram was not even an idea I came up with. I just literally, I don't remember the ideas I gave, but clearly none of them were that interesting because they didn't do any of them. Um, but uh, then they came back to me like a month later and said, we want to do this thing. And basically it would be a ask Dr. Ja questions about COVID. And I said, okay, how would this work? Just, you know, and they, uh, I thought it was gonna be like some sort of live thing where every you know, couple of weeks or something, I take questions for an hour or two. And they, they were like, no, no, you come in, um, we pre-record about six to 800 questions. Um, and and then we have a hologram of you answering these questions. And it's, there's an exhibit like at the, at the museum and they showed me the physical space. I went, I spent two days in June and uh, they were long days, but they just, I sat in one, you know, sat in my chair and just answered questions. And uh, most of them were about COVID. There was the occasional question about like my family, my kids, my favorite color, uh, you know, et cetera. And it was, I didn't really know like what it, how it would come out. And then it was about a month later, month and a half later when the museum opened, but there was an online version that I realized these guys did an extraordinary job. I mean, they, the AI technology behind it is unbelievable uh, because basically, as you know, Wayne, you can ask almost any question you want. And it's really accurate at figuring out what question you asked. Yeah, it was, it's right just... Answer. It's totally amazing. I mean, if if you're interested in AI just in general, you know, in addition to coronavirus, it's it's just a wonderful introduction to it. And yeah. you had to go back and uh, you spent a day updating. I guess is, would be the word recently, yeah. last yeah. last week, as I recall. So you spent what eight hours up updating because a lot oh, had happened. Eight hours, and it was there were two parts of it. Um, you know. That one was because the exhibit had been both online and uh, in person, there had been a bunch of questions that had come up that the system couldn't answer because I, didn't, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't given any answers to those questions. Questions about vaccines, uh, questions about, I don't even remember a lot of other, there were, and there were some questions about like the Red Sox. Um, <laughs> and um, so, but obviously given how fast changing it is, there were a bunch of questions they were seeing that, that I had not answered. So they wanted me to uh, address those. And then there were a bunch of questions where I had given an answer, which was correct as of June, but the world had changed. You know, we had learned more, right? About uh, even about some of the issues around transmission, some of the issues around therapies. Um, you know, in June I had said, I am hopeful that we might at some point get out treatments for X. Well, now we do have it. And so it didn't, it, that stuff just didn't feel fresh anymore, which makes sense, right? If you walk in today and say, ask me a question and I say, I'm hopeful at some point we will have X, but we already have it, that's going to feel weird. And so they asked if I would come back and, and do a refresh of both updating it with new knowledge, but also 
answering questions that had come up that um, we had not anticipated. And so I did both and it was great. And uh, we'll see what they produce. Usually takes them a few weeks because there's a lot of production stuff that goes into it. And so I think by early mid February, we will have the more updated version. And um, the only tricky part of it, Wayne, I'll give you a little insight, uh, was that I had to wear exactly the same clothes because these questions are all interchangeable. So you can't have me changing clothes between questions. It'll, it'll be. <laughs> and so uh, I had to like make sure I had exactly the same suit, the same tie, the same shirt. Go ahead, your three minute live story. Yeah, so I was born in India. Um, I was born in uh, Bihar, which is um, really the, the sort of one of the poorest, maybe the poorest state of India, one of the, uh, and you know, when, uh, my parents, um, when I was nine, uh, basically had the like classic immigrant, this is a really hard place to raise our kids. I mean, Bihar at that point was like incredibly corrupt, incredibly um, it just wasn't a great place. I mean, great like culturally and socially, but, but from a opportunity point of view. And so they did what a lot of immigrant parents and immigrants have done. They packed their bags and they actually initially moved to Toronto uh, where they, my dad had gotten into grad school at the University of Toronto and that was sort of the ticket out. And uh, my mom and my brother and I, I have one sibling we followed, spent uh, from the ages of nine to 14 in Toronto. So where I learned English. So I showed up to Toronto as a nine-year-old, not speaking a word of English and, oh. uh, and learned English, learned uh, baseball, learned to love, love the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, we won't hold I, that against you. Yeah, I was going to say, I have over time. Part of it is, you know, it, I'm not a fair weather fan of the Red Sox. I feel like I, I've been in the, you know, in New England since uh, 1992. So I don't know, after like a decade or two, you don't have to, you can call yourself a real fan. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, I, I, that, and then when I was 14, my, my family moved to New Jersey, uh, went to high school in New Jersey. I went to college in New York. I went to med school for all the reasons that you never say to people on the medical school interviews, why you're really going And The real reason I went to med school was because my parents really wanted me to go to medical school. <laughs> they really wanted one of their kids, and my older brother was having none of it. And uh, so I went to medical school, uh, came up to Harvard for medical school. And I have to say, this is, you know, a weird thing. I fell in love with medicine. Like, I showed up a little bit begrudgingly, and within about six months decided this was the coolest thing ever. I loved learning medicine. I loved like this is the demystification of all this stuff, these diseases. And, and I, I just really enjoyed it. And the other thing was in college, I had done a lot of work on human rights. Uh, I had uh, been very, very interested in uh, policy issues. And, and, uh, and so in medical school, I decided to take some time, uh, start doing policy research. Uh, took a year off to that. Went out to California for training. Came back and then met my wife. And I will I will quickly uh, speed up here, but you know, I met my wife out in California, uh, and before we were married, we were uh, together. And I basically convinced her to come back to Boston for what I promised was a two year stint, and then we would go back to California. Uh, <laughs> she's originally from Ohio, but was really loved California, and so in two thousand and two, I persuaded her to come to Boston with me, and I thought it was going to be a two year fellowship, and then I was going to go back to to UCSF, and instead. Uh, found a fabulous mentor at Harvard named Arnie Epstein, 
changed my life thinking about academic research. Uh, and I stayed on as faculty at Harvard. And, you know, I will say one quick thing, because this really has guided me, uh, even around the time I was trying to decide, do I want to have an academic career? And I remember one day sitting in Arnie's office and saying, I actually have decided I don't want to be an academic. And he's like, why? I said, because so much of academic research just doesn't make a difference. It's like you write the paper, it goes on your CV, but the world doesn't move. And Arnie was, has always been somebody who said, well, that means you got to go out and do research that does make a difference. You got to figure out how to make the world move based on data and evidence. And, uh, and I've used that as, a, as an inspiring kind of notion of, I've been deeply involved in policy really since 2004, 2005. During the ACA debates, I was probably in DC, you know, two days a week. Uh, I've always been very, very interested in the kind of the application of the science, not just the science itself. And then in 2014, the president of Harvard at that time, Drew Faust, asked me to run the Global Health Institute. And uh, it felt like a new challenge. I was excited to do it. And I started. And, and the quick thing I'll say about that is it was right in the middle of the Ebola outbreak of West Africa. And I chaired a commission to look at that and what happened. And through that work, Wayne, in 2015, became very, very alarmed that the world was heading towards having a global pandemic and we were not ready. And so from 2015 through 2020, really, put a lot of effort and resources of the Harvard Global Health Institute towards trying to get the world ready. Now, I would say that we largely failed because a lot of the things we pushed for never happened. But we certainly tried our best to raise awareness and say to people, this is coming, this is going to be bad, and we have to act. And, um, and we made a lot of progress in, in the, the last days of the, of the Obama administration, and then almost everything that we and others were proposing were ripped up by the Trump administration. So um, last few years were tough, but a lot of it was focused on that. And then just to finish up the story, in early 2020, in January, got a phone call from Chris Paxson and then Rick Locke, the president and provost of Brown who said, you want to come to Brown? And I said, yeah, I'm pretty happy. And they said, it's a great university. It's a great uh, community. And you have a chance to build a great school of public health. And as we talked more, I became more and more excited. And I said yes. And then more or less like three weeks later, the world shut down and the pandemic happened. And the rest, you know, much better. Uh, it's very clear. But so that's my, my, my story. And the only couple other updates I'll add is, so yes, I'm married, same woman who, uh, who I strong-armed into coming to Boston with me, is, uh, uh, has stuck with me. And What's uh, her name and what does she do? She, her name is Deborah, and she's uh, an environmental lawyer. Okay. And until about a year ago, was working at Harvard Law School, actually, um, on climate and, and law stuff. Uh, and um, it's really just uh, a I mean, I, obviously, I'm so so biased. She's my wife, but you know, pretty brilliant uh, thinker on, on a lot of this stuff. And um, and we have three children. Uh, my oldest is 15. Uh, the next one just turned 14, and then our youngest is nine. 